Mr. Benfica is a production of the PTB Media Network. All rights reserved. This podcast is available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Podbean, Stitcher, CastBox, Overcast, Himalaya, Pod Paradise, TuneIn, Breaker, and now available on iHeartRadio, Radio.com, and also on Audible for Amazon Prime subscribers. As always, select episodes available on YouTube and, of course, at www.mrbenfica.com. Please like, share, and rate the show on your preferred platform. Enjoy the show. What's up, Benfica Nation? Welcome to episode 102 of Mr. Benfica. I am your host, as always, the Mr. Mike Agustinho. And happy new year to Benfica Nation, everyone around the world. It is now 2021. 2020 is in the rearview mirror. It's in the past. It's time to move on, especially from a Benfica point of view. It is a year to forget for Benfica. And it is time to move on to bigger and better things this year. And... It is time for Benfica to get there, you know what, together and turn this season around before it is too late. Today, here on the podcast, we're going to talk about the the two most recent matches. I know it's been a little while. You haven't heard from me. You heard from me uh, earlier in the week uh, regarding Benfica's women's team. I did that that show that uh, was also delayed in coming out. I do apologize about that, but I got that one done. And now we're catching up on the men's team as we sit here on the eve of Santa Clara Benfica. We're about 24 hours or so away from that kickoff. And um, we're going to review the Super Cup match today against Football Club de Porto, unfortunately. But there's a lot to, to point out in that match. There is um, there's just moments in... There's a never-ending, always reoccurring storyline of Benfica playing scared against Football Club de Porto. It happened again. Okay, granted, there was one player who stood out um, above the rest. Okay, and I hope that it puts to bed once and for all 
the discussion as to where this player's loyalties lie. Okay, we'll talk about that in the next segment um, in just a few minutes. And then after that, we will also hit on the last Befica League match, okay, as it was a 2-1 to victory over Portimones, not Portimones, Portimones, a team that's known to be a, a very close ally to our rivals from the north, and I'm happy that that team is in last place, like I said last year, and hopefully this time we'll get rid of them for good and they'll get relegated, and Porto can have one less ally in the first division, hopefully. But uh, we got those two matches to talk about. But before we get to that, I do have a little bit of club news to talk about. Um, as you know, COVID, uh, COVID-19 has... Has come right through the team. Um, there is at, at least at one point there were five players um, deemed ineligible to play or deemed unfit due to positive tests. PZ has since tested negative, so I'm hoping he'll be back tomorrow against Santa Clara. Um, but uh, if I can remember now, you got uh, Jardel, you've got João Freira, you've got Gonzalo Hamuj, and Harris Seferovic all still. Um, all still apparently infected with the virus, and uh, they won't be part of Benfica's team tomorrow in the Azores, as far as I know. Okay, I could be wrong. Maybe there's been a development today. But that um, is the latest on that situation. Uh, Tiago Pinto, the, the administrative director, or the director of football, has left the club, as you know. January, uh, sorry, December 31st was his last day with Mefica. He joins uh, Paulo Fonseca now at, at AS Roma. And, of course, um, the best wishes and best of luck to Tiago Pinto at AS Roma. And it looks like it's leaving Louisan, perhaps not with his title, but with his responsibilities for the time being. And we'll talk about Louisan in this episode. He made, his, his, um, he made himself heard, if you will, and he... Um, did something I think most of us are very happy to see, even if the club don't like it. I think the majority of us that follow this club day in, day out, were relieved to see Louison show a little passion, something that has lacked from this team since day one, since George Jesus made the famous d- declaration that we were going to play the triple, we were going to jogar a triple, which hasn't even come close to happening, although many, many of you point out that uh, three times zero is still zero, so... Um, if you believe Benfica's playing zero, well, then, then then that prophecy is holding true, isn't it, that we were going to play the triple. Um, I'm hoping that that's not what he meant. Obviously, it's not what he meant, but I'm hoping that that's not what it turns out to be. I'm hoping that things turn around here. We have a month of January coming up that is absolutely loaded, and I think the championship will... E- well, it can't be won in January, but it'll certainly be lost by somebody in January. I think someone's going to fall away from the pack, um, and it's not likely to be Football Club de Porto. So it could be Benfica, it could be it could be Sporting. Uh, if this month does not go well, everybody's playing everybody this month essentially, and there'll be uh, there'll be a lot of points up for grabs in direct direct matchups. So I'm looking forward to the month of January. No doubt the first match is already tomorrow, the third of January, in the Azores in São Miguel. It will be. Santa Clara, Benfica, okay, and um, hopefully we can we can turn this around and go on a run. Now this is the time to go on a run. Um, we haven't had the worst results in the league. We've turned it around a little bit, and it's time now to pick up the performance and get some momentum going forward into 2021, into January and February, two tough months 
All right, before we resume, uh, before we resume Europa League play in February, you know, we we got nothing but the league and we got the cup as well. We got no, but we got nothing but domestic football to focus on for the next six weeks or so. Benfica needs to come out and get the maximum amount of points. All right, other news around the club. Okay, I haven't had a chance to talk about this yet. BT manager Renato Paiva has stepped down. This happened about a week ago, and our old friend Nelson Verissimo has been named the BT manager. Uh, some of you, someone, I forget exactly which one of you, sent me the direct message and said it's the final blow to get Benfica B relegated. As you know, Benfica B playing near the bottom of the the Segunda Liga, the Liga Portugal. And um, they are going to be fighting fighting off relegation this this these next you know this next half of the season unless something turns around real quickly and Renato Paiva has has joined actually he's accepted the position of manager in South America another Portuguese manager going to South America this time Renato Paiva headed to Ecuador and to Independiente del Valle and that is a very good team and I did say that I guess I'm now going to be putting some attention on Ecuadorian football and maybe Parking the Bus podcast will start to cover the Ecuadorian League when it covers the Brazilian and the Argentine League here in 2021. Just because of the interest of having Renato Paiva there. And Independiente del Valle is a, is a good club, like I said. They they played Flamengo. They beat Flamengo 5-0 earlier this season in the group stage of the Copa Libertadores. Yes, it was at altitude, but they did beat Flamengo 5-0. Okay. Um, they were the winners of the Copa Sudamericana in 2019. And uh, I'm very interested to see what Renato Paiva can do in Ecuador with, with South American players. That's obviously a good opportunity for him. And he, I believe he felt that he was never going to get the, the chance to manage Benfica. I think it became pretty obvious to him. And um, he decided the time was right to, to leave. And I think this is a big blow to Benfica's development. But we'll see. Maybe, maybe Nelson Verissimo is better at the B team level than he is managing the A team. I think he gets a little bit of a unfair shake for his, uh, an unfair, you know, critique for his time as in charge of the A team. He was just the the caretaker. Um, I criticized him for keeping it too much like lies. He stick stuck with what wasn't working, but. Uh, again, now he's got the chance. He's got the team is completely his. There's nobody telling him what to do. He's gonna get to work with the players that he probably knows. You know, from his previous stint on the B team, he didn't necessarily work with these players, but these players are in the U19s and the U23s at the time. So I think he's gonna work with a roster of players he's familiar with. Um, we'll we'll see. Sometimes a fresh start works for people. Sometimes a reset works for people. Maybe if the players take to Fabio Verissimo's excuse me, not Fabio, Nelson Verissimo's instruction, then then who knows? Maybe he's a good manager and maybe the A-team didn't take to it. I mean, he had the, the notion of being this set-piece ma- coach and we know Befica went overnight essentially from being phenomenal at set-pieces to being atrocious. Okay, so the man, he didn't change. Okay, so there was a time where we thought he was very, very good because Befica were scoring and not allowing any goals on set-pieces under Bruno Leij. All right through the course of last season and the disaster that it was uh, that grew to be a black mark on the team as they began to to surrender lots of set-piece goals. So Nelson Verissimo now was in the spotlight for the wrong reason as his set-piece uh, 
preparations, his set-piece training obviously was not coming to fruition. And then when he took over the first team as caretaker, Mifika continued to surrender goals on set-pieces. Um, so he was even more in the spotlight. And then, of course, his famous it-is-what-it-is comment really, I think, ruined his his in- reputation with most Benfiquistas. And um, he's got some rebuilding to do, and maybe he'll do that in the B team now going forward. We'll see. Um, but like I, I think that the whole the whole structure needs an overhaul. It's not going to happen. Um, it would have been great with a different result in the election because I think you would have had the overhaul we need. Like this, it's not going to happen. Um, we, we're going to talk about Rui Costa. He's just not saying anything. You know, he is being the good boy. Staying true to Luis Felipeeta, knowing he needs Luis Felipeeta's support most likely to take over the presidency at the end of this, of this mandato, at the end of this this term, this mandate, and um, he really looks like someone who doesn't want to upset the boss right now, and that's disappointing. But you can certainly uh, understand that maybe he feels once he's the man in charge, once he's the president, if he is even fit to be president. I mean, a lot of us wanted to see him as president, but he's not helping his reputation right now. He's not helping his legacy as a Benfica legend for being so passive in everything going on with the club. And then, of course, Luis Zon is the guy to stand up and to speak up and to maybe deliver the talk that most of us felt Rui Costa should have been the one giving. I think I, I believe I said this last season when it was starting to fall apart and when I felt the club was just laying Bruno Lage out there to be massacred they were just putting him out in front of, as a sacrificial lamb I thought that Rui Costa needed to be the man to take over the talking and he needed to be the man to one defend his manager and get behind his players and and motivate his players to turn this around he his word brings a lot of weight he is a legend of Portuguese football. He is a Benfica through and through. We've heard about it all the time, but right now it's not showing. I don't doubt that his Benfica is in question. What I doubt is that he professionally is unsure of what to do, or he's just been told to keep quiet and stay out of his own way, and he can inherit the throne, if you will. We'll have to wait and see how this plays out, of course, over the next three and a half seasons, the next three and a half years. Um, but... I really, I am disappointed right now with Rui Costa as vice president. I mean, he, it's just, he seems to just be there as a face of somebody that knows football to represent the president. And I would have liked to have seen Rui Costa be the one. Given this, this emotional talk after the match to the players, I like that Luis Zone did it. Um, I'll get to it after we discuss the match. And uh, I think that's going to wrap up this, this segment. We're going to take a break now. We're going to hear Reconquista. You're going to hear a, a word from the PTB Media Network. Big weekend here. Uh, at parking the bus headquarters, a.k.a. my basement here in, in Worcester, Massachusetts. Um, we're relaunching, if you will, or re-debuting. It's going to be season two of Parking the Bus. It's coming your way Sunday, January the 3rd. All right, here's a little bit about the Parking the Bus podcast coming your way in 2021. PTB Media Network presents the Parking the Bus podcast coming back right at you for season two, dropping January 3rd, 2021. And it is a new format this season, new format. 
multiple episodes per week parking the bus podcast covering all of your football needs across the world and in 2021 coming to the parking the bus podcast the fifa world club cup euro 2020 copa america CONCACAF Gold Cup, CONCACAF Champions League, Major League Soccer, Liga MX, Brasileiro, as well as the Premier League, the Championship, WSL, League 1, Serie A, Bundesliga, and La Liga, all coming your way in 2021 on the Parking the Bus podcast only on the PTB Media Network. So whether you prefer Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, or any other podcast platform cast box you name it the link is in the show notes of this episode so that you can follow parking the bus podcast go ahead right now click follow all right subscribe to parking the bus podcast and give a good rating so that we can get the parking the bus podcast out to more people and again don't forget sunday january 3rd 2021 season two is underway Mr. Benfica, episode 102. You can follow the show on Twitter at Benfica Mr. On Instagram at Mr. Benfica. On Facebook at www.facebook.com forward slash Mr. Benfica. Of course, you can get this and all the other episodes um, on www.mrbenfica.com as well as some other content, some written content. And as always, the live uh, standings are there as well at MrBenfica.com. I will have them updated tomorrow after Benfica's match um, 
which which is tomorrow afternoon. Befica travel, like we said, to the Azores to take on Santa Clara. After that match, I will update the standings on www.mrbefica.com. And don't forget, of course, you can always check out the YouTube channel for some past episodes as well. So let's get started. This is our new year, like I said. This is episode 182. If you remember this time last year, the final episode of 2019 was episode 46. And I set myself an objective to record 50 episodes in 2020, in 2020, and happy to report back that I I exceeded that goal greatly. Um, If you just count the Mr. Befica episodes, there was 54 episodes, if my math is correct, um, which is more than one per week on average, which I'm very, very pleased with. Uh, If you include all the bonus content that I've posted as well, some 80 episodes that were Posted to the Mr. Befica feed this past calendar year. Thank you to everyone, of course, who has been listening. And um, I've enjoyed the feedback from everybody as well. And again, like you just heard, tomorrow is the season debut of the Parking the Bus podcast. And of course, the episodes will also feature here on the Mr. Befica feed. So you will get to hear it here. Although I do appreciate if you go to Mr. Befica, wherever you get your, or excuse me, if you go to Parking the Bus, wherever you get your podcasts and subscribe and like the podcast, give it four stars so that we can get it out to more people as um, I'm going to take a very aggressive, aggressive approach to Parking the Bus and the PTB Media Network here in 2021. Try to really get it going this year. Really want to get it off the ground and really grow the listener base. So if you could assist, it would be greatly appreciated. Let's move now to the Super Taza Candido de Oliveira. We are in Aveiro, the city of Aveiro. We are in the Municipal Stadium, and the date is Wednesday, December the 23rd, two days before Christmas. We're going back just a little bit, still in 2020, obviously. And it is the champion Porto, champion and cup winner, taking on the runner-up of both the league and the cup, Benfica. And what was a chance for Benfica to really send a message to the supporters, really send a message to Porto that things are different now. You know, when we signed Jorge Jesus, I wasn't fully excited about it. I thought, and I, I pretty positive I said this here, that I thought Jorge Jesus was best fit to be a Flamengo and to stay a Flamengo. I didn't I was worried about Jorge Jesus coming to Benfica and it not going the way it did the first time around. I gave you a three episode mini series there on Ericsson's second stint with Benfica or the first season of Ericsson's second stint on Benfica in anticipation and in trying to take what was a successful return or and see what that looked like, especially in its first year. And it didn't go all that well. Benfica did get to the final of the European Cup that year, but they sacrificed a lot in the league to get there. And uh, they didn't win any trophies that year. So, um, with the, and that is no that is thought to be probably the most successful second coming of a manager to Benfica. Um, I had... We had to keep that in mind as we welcome Jorge Jesus back to Benfica, and it was it was one of those things that was very very uh, polarizing. Half of us were not fans of this, and the other half thought we just won everything. We had just clean swept the league. We were we were going to be a force in Europe again, simply by bringing the champion of South America, the manager of the South American champions, to Benfica, and bringing him back 
all was well and forgiven. And I've already stated what I believe about what happened six years ago. And I I put all the responsibility on Luis Felipe Vieira and not on, on, on Jota Jota when it comes to that. However, this return of Jota Jota to Benfica has not gone as planned, obviously. Uh, Benfica struggling. Benfica playing abysmal football. Okay, struggling to beat the weaker teams in our league. And here is this opportunity to go up against Sergio Conceição, someone who has had the best of us, with the exception of that one match against Bruno Lage, when Bruno Lage took Benfica fearlessly into the Dragon, into the face of the hanging the hanging dummies from the viaducts, into the face of the stones hitting our bus. We were not shaken that day. We went into the Dragon and we won 2-1 to and took control of the league for 2018-2019 and rode that wave all the way to Title 37. But Sergio Conceição adjusted. And when Sergio Conceição met Bruno Lage again, Sergio Conceição had everything planned out. They were ready for everything Befica could possibly throw at them. And Porto won 2-0. And then last February... It was, again, Porto winning at home at the Dragon and beginning their massive, historic comeback from down eight points to winning the league by, I forget how, by far too many points. Um, and if you take that one match where Bruno Lage took the boys in there and won at the Dragon, yes, Benfica had beaten Porto earlier in the season, by the hand of Rui Vitoria under the tutelage of Rui Vitoria, but that was a match in which we were overwhelmed. We countered, we found a goal, and we hung on for it. Um, you go back the last decade. There's a Benfica that takes on Porto that is just plain scared. Benfica come into this match afraid, and I don't understand it anymore. I thought with George Jesus we were going to be over that and we were going to go in confident no matter what had happened. We know in these matches you can throw form out the window. None more evident than the times, even during our run to the Tetra. How many times did Porto beat us? More times than not in those four years. Porto either beat us or drew with us. How many? We won very few matches over them in the four years of the Tetra. There was the two that we won the year of the fir- the first year of the title, the year of of course the eleven Ozebius. I think we'd beaten them, um, and no, we didn't win two. Actually, we won the home the home tie that year. The following year, we, if I'm not mistaken, the following year we beat them twice. But that was but but then you know they we have a, outside of that year where we beat them twice on, in eighteen nineteen. One, somewhat by chance. Two, because we caught Benfica on a roll like never before. Outside of that, Porto has the best of us all the time. And I said this before the match, and I said this if you read the article, the the blog post that I put up on MrBenfica.com. We knew they were going to get a penalty. We knew they were going to get either a man advantage or they would get an offside goal or something would happen. Everything, it went exactly according to plan, okay? Georges Zouge, I know he had minimal options at his disposal, okay? No PZ, that's a huge blow, especially uh, the way he'd been playing right now. Yes, I know PZ's history against Porto is not very good, but I guarantee you we're a better team with him than without him. And again, you know, Rafa puts in a good start to the match, but then he gets figured out, as Porto always does. 
whether it's through Casa Rafa, whether it's through hunting them down, whether it's through making a couple of, of changes. Sometimes they switch outside backs. They'll have them switch sides. They know where he's going to go. And after the first, you know, the first phase of the match there, the first, I don't know, 20, 25 minutes or so, they adjusted. We didn't. Of course, the referee is... <laughs> Ugu Miguel should not be refereeing any matches anywhere. Okay, let's start with the lineups. I'm sure I'm going to get to him very soon. All right, so we're going to start with the champions and cup winners. In goal, it is Agustin Marchesin, the Argentinian former Club America goalkeeper. Uh, four across the back for Sergio Conceição. Manafa on the right, Mabimba and Pep the central defenders. Remember, Jorge uh, Jesus had said in the press conference he was conf- he was certain Pep would not play. Well, there he is, coming back from injury, rehabbing like crazy just to play this Super Cup. And Zaidu is the left back. In midfield, formidable midfield, very strong, very um, difficult, very, uh, let's be honest, a very bad matchup for our midfield. Otavio on the right, Sergio Oliveira and Mateus Uribe in the center with uh, Tecatito on the left. Up front, a couple of Bash brothers. I mean, Porto, no matter who <laughs> who they get, their forwards are, are Bash brothers. It, it's forwards that uh, love to press and challenge, and they always finish their challenge whether the ball's there anymore or not. And for me, one of the more dirty players in Portuguese football, I'm, I'm going to say it. A lot of people don't agree with this, but I'm going to say it. He gets away with everything and anything. Moasa Marega, um, and he's partnered by Mehdi Taremi, the Iranian international. All-time world record holder for the number of penalties drawn in half a season, no doubt. As um, He's also been elected captain of Iran's uh, Olympic diving team, obviously. Um, Mehdi Taremi. And uh, that is the, the 11 for Porto. Jorge Jesus responds with these 11. Odi in goal, also in a 4-4-2. The right back, Gilberto. Otamendi and Vertonghen, the central defenders, with Grimaldo on the left. Midfield, okay, the Rafa will get the start on the right side with Weigel and Tarapt in the middle. And Everton on the left. Up front, Luka, Waldschmidt, and Darwin Nunez are the pair that are selected. Of course, Seferovic, not an option for George Jesus. And these are the 11 Benfica came up with. Very little can be criticized about it because, um, you know, there's so few players he had to choose from. And you can see on the bench very few, few uh Options and actually, I I need to correct myself. Seferovic not yet positive for COVID nineteen. He was left on the bench and would enter the match later. So I take that back. Uh, Seferovic would test positive after this match. And can we talk for a minute? Given that it's now January second, so Benfica play Porto, and before the next match, two players test positive with COVID. Vitori Guimarães just a few days ago play Porto. Today they have six sudden positive cases. Tiago Pinto leaves Benfica and tells the media that he's certain there's teams not reporting honestly about COVID in their team. Now I'm no genius, but let's play connect the dots for a minute. And what's going on at Porto? Somehow nobody gets sick there. There's this COVID downpour 
And somehow they manage to tiptoe between all the raindrops and they don't get touched. Very, very, very interesting. Very interesting. But let's get on to the match then. As, um, of course, it was not <laughs> something, uh, it was not the match we were hoping for. And Fought Mob doesn't even have the the minute-by-minute minute, uh, updates here. But I'll just talk about, in general, what happened um, as those lineups were brought to you by Fought Mob. The, and I'm seeing on my screen now Sporting have just scored against Sporting Braga, which is ridiculous because in the first half, Braga should have scored at least three different times. And Pot scores again for Benfica, for Sporting. Excuse me. And it's 1-0 to Sporting in the 58th minute. I'm going to try to ignore that as I talk about this disaster that was Benfica versus Football Club de Porto. Benfica start all right. They start all right. And they're getting some opportunities, attacking mostly down the left um, with Grimaldo. You notice that Gilberto was kept a bit further back in this one, which I think worked fine. And actually, if there's if there's a portion of the, the match, or I should say a portion of the team that played reasonably well, I'll say it's the back four. It was an improved performance. Now, we'll get to the performance from Nicolas Otamendi, as I said. Hopefully, put, resting forever the question of where his loyalties lie because he defended our colors and our badge more honorably than anybody else in red in this match. More honorably than our manager, okay? Nicolas Otomendi was a giant in this match. Okay, yeah, he create, he he commits the first foul of the game very early, but Benfica um, handled the, the set piece. Of course, Porto already claiming for a penalty kick here in the very beginning as Gilberto, the ball hits him in the chest and they want a handball for it. Um we really need to back up before we even get into this match and rewind to the previous Sunday. Benfica beat Gil Vicente on the road, okay? And as soon as Benfica's match is over, Porto and their communications department are at work. It took no time for them to come out and criticize the referee in the Benfica-Gil Vicente match. See, this is what happens. This is how they do things. And this is something we either are blind to and don't want to counter or we're naive and don't think it goes on I don't know but our club always looks like little children next to this one and yes I know that it's not in our DNA to play dirty it's not we're not a club that was built that way however in these matches these are scraps these are fights we need to come to the fight looking to win not looking to play nice not looking for fair play every single time a Benfica player commits a foul. The entire Porto team is losing their mind, having a, a massive meltdown. Sergio Conceição was off his bench with his arms in the air screaming. He gets away with saying whatever he wants to referees. Other, other managers don't. The players are constantly and immediately surrounding Ugo Miguel with every call. Right here it starts. They want a penalty kick off a ball that hits Gilberto in the chest. Ridiculous. Ridiculous. Move forward a few minutes and Otamendi's the victi victim of a dirty hit from behind from who I just said, Marega, who is a dirty player. Don't tell me he's not a dirty player. Okay, let's think back to last season and the swinging back forearm he put right between the eyes of Adel Tarapt. Mu Muasa Marega gets away with whatever he wants in this league. 
And here he comes in clumsily, hard, and knee first. Puts his knee right into the side of the knee, right into the IT band of Nicolas Otamendi. Could have injured him. Not even a yellow card from, from Hugo Miguel. Of course, Otamendi gets up, gets in Marega's face, and tells him he's not going to do that again. And I like that. It's about time. Somebody stands up to these guys. It's about time. You see early in the match as well, Pep. He's he's back somehow. Another miraculous return. Last year, I think it was Marega that made a miraculous return to play against Benfica. Okay. Uh, taking some horse placebo, whatever the hell they, they prescribed him. Here... Pep makes some kind of miraculous uh, recovery from surgery and is here to play against Benfica. Puts his finger in Darwin's face and tells him he's not going to do it today. Two, you know, a few minutes later, Darwin with the foul. What does he do? Like a sucker, he helps Pep up. You don't help them up. They are Porto. In this match, in this 90 minutes, you don't do any of that. Why do our players not know what it means to play for Benfica against our rivals? This is not like Every other match. This is our problem. We've gone into this match. No matter whether it's for the league, the cup, the super cup. It can be a friendly for all I care. We go into this match like the other team on the other side is not going for blood and does not want to do anything they possibly have to do to beat us. They want it more than us every single time. We look like naive children when we take the pitch against Football Club Porto. Helping them up? Are you kidding me? They they will put their studs in your Achilles tendon as fast as they possibly can if you give them the opportunity and you're going to help them up. It just shows the lack of awareness. The lack of understanding in our side. This is not just another match. And I think this is starting to go and I'm starting to, to believe this. In the lack of Benfiquismo in our club. There is a lack of true Benfiquismo in our club. And maybe I've underrated that in the past. Maybe I've been naive as well in thinking that that wasn't so important. We've got a manager who stands there with his arms folded all match. No ideas. Nothing to do. His midfield's getting massacred. Getting completely overwhelmed. Doesn't make an adjustment. I got an easy adjustment. 20 minutes, 30 minutes into this match, it would have been easy. Yeah, you don't have a substitution necessarily that can change it, but you can make changes with the 11 that are on the pitch. What should have happened after about 30 minutes as we started to lose control of the midfield and as Adel Terapt was tiring, it's very simple. You switch Adel Terapt with, with Luka Waldschmidt and you move Waldschmidt into midfield for a while. You let him do the running. He's got the lung capacity. You let him get back and and play with this German compatriot in midfield for a little while. No, he's not normally a midfielder, but you, in games like this, you have to be creative and you have to make do with what you have. You don't have PZ. You don't have a true eight. You don't have Gabriel at your disposal. Okay? You had to do something. He did nothing. George Jesus did nothing. He brings on Pedrinho in the second half, but that, I mean, he brings on Seferovic, excuse me. But it's a like-for-like. Like. Again, he does not make any actual change. He brings on Seferovic. And Seferovic, let's see here, replaces... Who did he replace here? If I'm not mistaken, he replaced Rafa, which was a mistake. I don't care how bad Rafa is playing. Rafa stays in a match like this because Rafa with one play can change everything. I've said that before. 
He doesn't have to play well to factor in the match. If you notice, Benfica, no matter who we sign, no matter who we bring in, no matter what, in the past three to four seasons, Benfica goes with whatever Rafa and Pizzi do. Okay, If Rafa and Pizzi, one or the other or both, come through in the clutch, Benfica usually get the result. When they don't, we lose. George Jesus takes Rafa. I know he wasn't playing well. How about switching him to the other side so he takes on a different defender? How about getting him away from Zaidu and putting him on Manafa's side? Manafa can't defend anything. Manafa is there because they literally have nobody else. Why not try that a little bit more? Why is Everton always staying on the pitch? Everton has needed to be sat for some time. Not because he's not a good player, but he's not. it's just not happening. He's doing the same thing over and over, and the other team knows what he's going to do. He's going to come down the left, cut to his right foot, and try to try to shoot or do something, and they're ready for it. They've got extra help there, ready for it. What do we do? We make no... Uh, we make no adjustment at all. We continue to do the same thing over and over and over. And what I'm going to criticize George Zouge here because his substitutions lately are all like for like, and that accomplishes nothing. Other than possibly getting tired legs off of the pitch and fresh ones on, the opponent does not have to make any adjustments. They just know a different player is coming on to do the same thing. Now why, when he brought on Seferovic, this is what he should have done. And I'm I'm getting ahead of myself here. So let, let's move back to the to the first goal for for Porto. Okay. It starts with Rafa on a counterattack. Rafa beating th- two three guys, holding on to the ball a little long. Yes, I do admit he held on to it too long. He should have released it. However, clearly fouled by Mabemba. Clearly fouled, impeded by Mabemba. Mabemba steps in front of him, doesn't let him by. That is an impediment. We used to call it an obstruction. That's an impediment. That is a call. Ugo Miguel closes his eyes, says play on. Ball goes the other way. The one time in the match, Ulian Weigel is caught out of position. Okay, really caught out of position for the rest for the. And I've argued with some of you about this. I've rewatched the match. Weigel, outside of this one instance, has a pretty good match. Okay, in this one instance, he's caught out. The through ball from Sergio Oliveira goes through the spot where he should have been, right between the center backs. Uh, Taremi gets in behind. Taremi takes a heavy touch to get by Odiseish. And Taremi, because he is a world-class professional at earning penalties, stops playing the ball knowing that that Odiseish is coming in on the slide. Literally comes to a stop and allows Odiseish to slide through and get him. Hugo Miguel points to the spot for a penalty kick. For me, and this is not... and uh, For me, okay... Excuse me. This is a penalty kick. It's a BS penalty kick, but it's a penalty kick, okay? BS in the sense that it used to be that if you stop playing the ball, that it's not a penalty kick because you need to play the ball in order to get the foul. That's not the case anymore. In the world that we live in with VAR and with, you know, video replay with referees analyzing, okay, there's contact, sure. Odiseish brings his hands and his legs back. He he basically removes any of his limbs from being able to make any contact with with uh, Taremi. If Taremi plays the ball like he's supposed to, like the rules say he's supposed to, he does not get fouled here. 
he stops playing and he allows uh, Odysseus to come through and catch him with his stomach. Literally, it was it was his stomach that took Taremi down. Okay, penalty kick. However, how many times do we see that they have to go back to the start of the play when there is a penalty kick? VAR should have rolled this tape all the way back. Okay, I'm going to give you an example. UEFA Euro Nations League Final Four. What was it, 2017, the last time we had one in 2019? I think it was 2019. And um, Portugal are awarded a penalty kick in the semifinal, right? Bernard Silva's taken down. VAR has to check it because all penalty kicks, I guess, were, were subject to a VAR check. They roll the tape back more than a minute. They roll it back like a minute and a half. And way back at the other end, they found a foul by Portugal against Switzerland in their penalty area. So the perfectly valid penalty kick given to Portugal is taken back because the play started with a foul by Portugal in their own penalty area. And you actually have a penalty kick at the other end of the pitch. Switzerland go up 1-0 in that match. On that penalty kick that was called by the VAR when analyzing a play at the other end of the pitch and a different penalty call some two minutes later. That's exactly what should have happened on this play. That VAR should have rolled it all the way back and seen a clear foul by Mavimba on Rafa. Play is dead there. That play should never have been allowed to start. And there should not have been a penalty kick on this play. Instead, Porto get the penalty kick. Sergio Oliveira converts it. And it's exactly what I said was going to happen. Now, Mefica need to react. Do they? Not really. Uh, a few minutes later, Grimaldo has Benfica's best chance of the game. Come, you know, coming down the left, and he hits one out of the air, a volley out of the air. Marquezine makes a nice save on it, and uh, danger averted for Porto. But Porto just readjust. They just readjust. Benfica with no answers. Okay, second half. Like I said here, a mistake, in my opinion, by Jorge Jesus. And it's easy. I know it's easy to criticize after the fact. But this is not the same Jorge Jesus we saw at Flamengo. This is not the Jorge Jesus we saw at Sporting. This is certainly not the Jorge Jesus we saw with Benfica for six seasons. Okay? Or maybe it's the Jorge Jesus of the middle part of that six-year run where we were, you know, not doing well either. He brings on Seferovic in the 64th minute. I can live with that. However, again, Adele Terapt is is done. I'm not here to criticize him, okay? We know he can't play 90 minutes. We know he can't play 90 minutes. 60-some minutes, 64 minutes in, it's time to sub him off. And it's very, very simple once again. Instead of Rafa, it should have been Tarapt coming off for Seferovic. Seferovic goes and plays up front. Waldschmidt drops. Okay, Waldschmidt drops. That changes the look of our midfield. You don't... It would have forced Porto to adjust to something. It would have made somebody have to change his mark. Somebody to be unsure about something. Instead, you just... You know, you, 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 you put him on for... You bring him on for Rafa. And if I'm not mistaken, that means that you moved Waldschmidt over to Rafa's position rather than into the center. And 
perhaps he, he tried to go to a 4-3-3 here and it didn't result. I'm not sure because I don't know what instructions were given, but nothing was carried out to tell me what was what was told. Um if he could, they knock on the door a little bit. I mean, our best opportunities were, were a couple of free kicks from Grimaldo. Grimaldo probably having one of his best matches in a long time. Uh, again, Otamendi just, just lights out defensively in this one. Uh, shutting down Marega, shutting down uh, Taremi uh, whenever he was called upon. He made a nice play once there in the area where he wins the ball in the air and then touches it around the Porto attacker and clears it. Very, very good play. A much different Otamendi. A very confident Otamendi in this match. And for me, personally, it, it goes back to what I said when we signed him. And the exact reason I liked the signing was for this type of match against this particular opponent. A player who understood what is needed, where you have to elevate to take on this opponent. And he certainly did that. Now, Georges Azouge completely... Throws everything out the window here in the final two minutes, okay? Benfica looking like they have a chance. I mean, they've got Porto back a little bit. And, again, like we said, Grimaldo hits the post on a couple of set pieces. Um, but in the 89th minute, a massive substitution. It, on come Nuno Tavares, yeah. I always like to sub in an outside, you know, a fullback when I'm losing 1-0 in the dying moments. That's a great move. Diogo Gonçalves also comes on, as does Pedrinho. And so the two, the two outside, the, the fullbacks are subbed off along with the holding mid. And the the commentator on RTP had the prophetic <laughs> call when he said, literally, Adel trapped agora ultimo, or what did he say? He said ultimo, ultimo na linha defensiva do meio campo, whatever, something along that line. The last line of defense in the midfield, the new holding midfielder, Adel trapped. And before he could finish that sentence, Tarap loses the ball. And he gives it away. And then he goes for a tackle that he does not successfully <laughs> complete. He ends up on the ground. And um, what's the guy's name? It's Marco. Uh, Marco Grujic of Porto just runs right through him, powers through him, dishes it to the left. Luis Diaz is there, and the Colombian makes it 2 0. And that's game, set, match. And for the 11th time in 12 Super Cups between these two teams, Porto win. They win the Super Cup for the twenty record 22nd time and for the 11th time against Benfica. And this is just... Here we are, a team that has spent $100 million, and we hand a treble over to our financially incompetent rivals. It, it's just mind-blowing how bad things are going right now. This team that we're playing, the only thing they have is heart and determination, and we managed to let them beat us on that because we cannot match it. They have a midfield that is absolutely destructive. We have one that's absolutely soft. Fluffy, even. It's It's very, very disappointing, very disheartening. To lose to this team again this way. with This was what was not supposed to happen with Georges Zouj. He's here specifically for matches like this. And I don't want to hear Georges Zouj complain and make excuses about the players that were at his disposal. 
If you don't have subs, you make changes with the players you have on the pitch. He didn't do that at all. He didn't change anyone's position. He didn't swap anybody. He didn't change formation. And then he comes up with the idea of switching fullbacks. What? Like, I don't know. I can't even begin to imagine what was going through his head, if anything. So let's move to the post-match now and the TV cameras. We're rolling as Luizão, in the place of Thiago Pinto, starts to give the Benfica players the verbal lashing that they deserve. Okay, I disagree. I'll go on the record and disagree with anybody who says this should have happened behind closed doors. No, it shouldn't. It should have been going on behind closed doors for months. Nothing has changed. There is no difference optically to this team that played in this match to the one Nelson Verissimo put on the on the pitch in the cup final in, in, in August. Zero difference. So yes, this the, the time for talkings behind closed doors are over. Luizão sends a message loud and clear that this isn't good enough. If Jorge Azuz is not going to do it, if he's too much of an ally of the president to criticize anything because nobody says anything in this club. It's like they're afraid of being exiled because they probably are. Well, not Luizão. That performance is not acceptable. That performance is embarrassing and someone needs to say it and if it's not going to be the manager and it's not going to be the vice president I'm glad it's Louisville and I'm glad it happened in front of the TV cameras you know why because people like myself and those of you listening and everyone who cares about this team and everyone who pours their all of their free time into watching these matches sometimes not even free time some of us take time off of work to watch these matches we pour our heart and soul into this club it's good to know somebody in there Gives a damn. Because it's starting to feel like we're the ones that are, must be wrong and must be missing something. Because we see a team not improving. We see a team with piss poor effort. A team with excuses. Okay. We see a team that is is levels, unimaginable levels below where they should be. But we see the the. The power structure, we see the manager, the director of football, we see the president all act like everything's okay, like everything's, uh, you know, everything's on course, everything is, is going according to plan, right? Oh, yeah, according to plan. And, you know, we say it's not in our DNA to be like Porto, we're not going to play dirty, we're not going to complain about the referees, we're not going to harass, you know what is in our DNA? You know, it's become part of our DNA, losing to Porto is part of our DNA and it's something we need to correct. So if we have to change our approach a little bit, that's what we have to do unless we're happy, you know, being righteous and losing all the time. I'm not. I'm not. I would like to see my players go in, studs up a few times, and send a message. I would like to see Marega rolling around on the floor holding his ankle once in a while for all of the late challenges he delivers. I'd like to see Otavio on the floor actually hurt, actually feeling pain, maybe not injury, but feeling pain. For all the pain he dishes out, I'd like to see my team stand and fight with the bully and not be afraid. I don't care if you can connect 100 passes in a row and play beautiful football when it comes to playing Porto. None of that matters because what matters is the result. And if you want to beat Porto, you have to be strong, fearless, 
and you have to stand up to them or else they are going to push you around like they do to us every single time. Listen, Sergio Cusicson, once again, out coaches whoever Benfica puts on the sideline. Okay, he got the team right. He had the, 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 the game plan was right on. Maybe it's not that hard to prepare for Benfica because every other team in the league seems to do a good job of it as well. But until you beat him, you can't complain. And yeah, he criticized Louis Zong's words, but you know what? He would have done the same exact thing. Sergio Conceição would have done the same exact thing if the shoe was on the other foot. Had they lost this match, he would have done that. You remember when they when they dropped points to Riuav, which for all intents and purposes made Benfica the champion in 2019? What he made his players do, he walked them over to the Super Dragoish, over to their clock who was ready to kill them and made them face the music. Now our club, we shelter our players like babies. Nothing's ever wrong. There's nothing to ever answer for. There's no accountability in our team. And I thought that was going to change with Jota Jota, and it hasn't. In fact, he's making ridiculous excuses now, talking about how a year ago he was playing to be the champion of the world. He doesn't even know the name of the competition. And that it was only an extra time defeat to, to Liverpool that kept him from being world champion, blah, blah, blah. He's now saying that he's coming from the most evolved football in the world. The Brasileirão. Making, if that's all true and good, then this should be easy for you, Jorge Jesus. This should have been easy. You have the biggest budget. Okay, you have the players, that you, at least some of the players you asked for. You can't even compare the payroll that you have to everybody else. It's not even to this Porto team. And this is the best you can do. I'm sorry, you got to do better. you got to do better. Rui Vitoria or, or Bruno Lage would have been sacked already with this type of, of start. Yeah, the pressure would be on to sack anybody else. And I'm not calling for a sacking because I think that is the one biggest problem in Portuguese football is the idea that, that the answer is always sacking, and sacking players, sacking managers, getting new players, getting new... No, the... The answer is, is finding what you have in your squad and finding a system in a style that works instead of being stubborn and continuing to want to play the game that you want to play if you don't have the players or the personnel to do so. The answer is not getting rid of, of this guy or that guy and bringing in this guy or that guy. The answer is finding, when you're spending the kind of money we are on a manager, finding a way and finding where you can put your players to to play to their maximum potential. You nobody can say Georges Jesus has put any of these Befica players in position to maximize their ability. You have a left forward in, in Everton Sibolinha who he continues to insist as a left sided midfielder. You have Pizzi and Tarapt who are using all of their energy to run back and defend so that they can't do what they do well in the attacking third. Yes, I'm defending Tarapt there. Why is Darwin Nunez's runs always from the center out to the flank where he's not dangerous to anybody? Why are we playing a 4-4-2 that has the two forwards doing that, yet nobody to come into the gap that they create? Come on, this this is not rocket science. Georges Azuja is a good manager. He's a smart manager. He's got so many years of experience. He didn't just forget football all of a sudden. In four months, he didn't just forget how to manage. Something is up behind the scenes, of course. It looks like he's having a pity party. It looks like he's 
he's trying to make an example that he doesn't have the players or whatever, but he needs to start being the manager and to find solutions. It's very simple. I mean, you could have added a man in midfield and maybe we wouldn't have been so overrun by their midfield in this match. But he refuses to make those changes for whatever reason. His ego, his pride, I don't know. But he refuses to make simple adjustments in the match that can change the course of the situation. Now, everybody, I like I said, I've been having some discussions with some of you on Twitter regarding... Um, I had a few regarding regarding uh, Weigel in his place in this team. And I don't think the answer is to get rid of him. And I have very little belief that William Carvalho will ever wear a Benfica jersey. So I'm not going to, you know, I just I don't see it. I just do not see it. Um, JJ may want him. He may not. I don't know. But listen, the answer is not to crush Weigel and to, to, to exile him, okay, the answer is, it's time to, to, to adjust. You don't have a true six in this club, in this roster. The one you did have, you loaned out. Okay? You loaned him out. Why this team, this midfield is perfectly suited to play in a double pivot. Gabriel and Weigel side by side, or, or Weigel and Samadis, Gabriel and Samadis. And then you don't, your attacking midfielder, whether it's Tarapt or Pizzi, doesn't have so much responsibility in in running back and tracking back defensively. It's very simple. You play a 4-3-3 with three in the middle in a triangle with the double pivot behind the attacking midfielder. It's not that complicated. I'm not saying it's going to work, but it should have been tried by now. And then you've got up front. It's very simple. It's not that hard to come up with an attack. The three in the attack. Darwin on the center or Seferovic, whichever is available and whichever is the choice on the day. Either Rafa or Everton on the left. And if it's Everton on the left, I say Rafa on the right. If Everton's on the right, Pedrinho, if Everton's on the left, excuse me, Pedrinho plays on the right. You got Waldschmidt coming in off the bench that changes your formation. Okay, Waldschmidt can become a second forward. He can be a, a 10. He can play in one of the outside center channels. Whichever striker you don't use, you can bring on and again change the shape of your team. When you make a substitution, you want to change something about your team, not just change the players that are playing in these restrictive roles. George Zuz knows this. I don't know why he's not doing it. Beats me. But once again, we lose another Super Cup. And I'm not in the school of thought that this competition doesn't matter. Listen, I can't sit here and criticize our rivals, both this one and our other rivals, for always minimizing the importance of the League Cup because they don't win it and then say that, you know, the Super Cup doesn't matter just because we we don't win it. No. Um, the Super Cup matters, and anytime a trophy's on the line, I think our team should play it like it's a final and should want to win more than anything. And I'm very disgusted, even, and upset to hear the the manager say that this match is not a high priority. BS. Anytime you play Porto, that is the priority. This could have been a fulcrum to catapult us to the top of the table. This could have been the start of a run of results and a run of form in a confident Benfica 
that can go and run off a string of victories and take control of this league. No, instead what this is, okay, what this was is the exact is exactly that for Porto. Be honest with yourselves right now. Put yourself it's hard to imagine this, but imagine you're a Porto supporter. Do you have any doubt in your mind that you're going to win the league this year? Do you have any reason to doubt you're going to win the league this year? I can't see it. Every time you faced front, you know, face to face with a much must-win match, your team comes through. Every time we're faced with it, <laughs> can't say the same. And until we learn to stand up and we learn to come into these big matches and realize that they are not just about three points. They're about breaking form for our, our rival, gaining form for ourselves, or in some cases, continuing form. Listen, last year, Porto beating us at the Dragon killed a almost a year's worth of unbeaten you know, or a year, I think we had gone a year with one loss in the league. And everything collapsed after that. Okay, they broke our form, they broke our confidence, they broke our morale, they broke our momentum, and we went on to drop points like never before. Now, does anyone honestly think Befica has that collapse if they come out of the Drago with a 1-1 draw and can maintain the 7-point lead? Probably not. No, if they won, obviously, with the 10-point lead, Porto would have been done and dusted. But we always give them life. Every single time we take to the pitch against them, we give them life. We have had endless opportunities to cut the head of the dragon, so to speak, and to kill them, you know, symbolically speaking. And we're just too damn nice to them. And, you know, you go back to the all-or-nothing Tottenham uh, series on Amazon and Jose Mourinho right away recognizes his biggest problem with Tottenham was they're just too damn nice. And this Befica team is just too nice. We have a nasty manager. Why is the team not taking on his personality a little at least? Look at what's on the other side. We're going to get we're going to get eaten by that every single time unless we change the way we approach it. That sums up Supertaça. <laughs> 20 20 uh, Supertaça Candido de Oliveira Porto 2 Benfica nil. I'm going to take a break here My voice is starting to go uh, going to take a quick quick break I'll be right back And we'll talk about The Liga Nage Round 11 Versus Porto Muniz This is Mr. Benfica On the PTB Media Network <laughs> Thank you, Smith. 
I hate the music business, the way your bully's gifted. All the switch from being honest to cool and distant, new but not truly different. We got a ruling misfits, players and jocks, while we playing the part of the coolest bitch. Ain't a high school movie, had a brace like duty when the news hit them. Only if you will listen, cause there ain't nothing new about the facts of life, dudes. So why don't you sit calm? If the shoe fits on, why don't you kick some? Huh, that good shit that you spit, amusement fun. They get you sick for two spins at music 101. They get spun in the club, all done, unless I go numb. Make my flow dumb, go write a hit song called Fido Run. So many idols come, so many idols go, but in the end, man, I don't know. <laughs> yeah. And welcome back to Mr. Benfica episode 102. I know we ran a little bit long there, so this will be a little bit shorter now. Uh, it is around 11, Liga Nage, and it is Benfica hosting Portimonense. Uh, Benfica looking to pick up three points and, and get back into second place, which they had temporarily been dropped from with uh, a victory from Porto earlier in the day. Or I should say with a victory from Braga, excuse me, earlier in the day. But Benfica looking to pick up the three points. They're at home, like we said, in the Stadio the Luge, taking on last place Portimonense. Let's start with the 11 for Portimonense, managed by Paul Sergio in a 4-4-2. Uh, Samuel Portugal is the goalkeeper. Four across the back, Fahad Mufi on the right, Mauricio Antonio and Lucas Passignolo are the center backs, and Koki Anzai, the Japanese uh, player, is the left back in midfield. On the right side, Ailton Boamort, the nephew of former Arsenal and Sporting in Portugal International, Luis Boamort. Uh, Denner Clement is the center midfield, uh, along with Willian. And Falicande is the left-sided midfielder. In attack, two up front, Fabricio uh, partners with Luquinha, the Brazilian. Jorge Jesus' uh, 11 for this is identical to the 11 that took on uh, Football Club de Porto at midweek. So it's Odiseas, Blacodimo in goal. Gilberto is the right back. Otamendi and Vertonghen, the center backs, with Grimaldo on the left. Midfield again, anchored by Ulian Weigel with Adel Terapt in front of him. Rafa to one side, Everton to the other. And Waldschmidt partners with Darwin in attack. And... Let's move ahead here and look at the match as it would play out. And, of course, as we said, Benfica needing to send a statement in this match, certainly, as they'd come off the loss. And the Benfica Nation's looking to see how the squad was going to react. There was a lot of polemic, a lot of controversy throughout the week about Louison's, you know, words and Louison's display Um he ends up being defended by the manager in the coming days, and he says that Louis Zong is part of the technical staff, and Louis Zong is well within his rights to do and say exactly what he did. <clears throat> Excuse me. And so it would be uh, it would be good for Benfica to put this to bed. And Benfica comes out looking good, actually. In the first 30 minutes, I think they... I agree with George Azuz in his post-match comments that those were the best first half. That was the best first half Benfica have put together all season. I agree with that. The first 30 minutes were very good. And it it gets started. And in the first minute, there's an attempt already missed. Benfica right off the bat. Waldschmidt with the header from the center of the box getting on the end of a Grimaldo cross as he misses just to the right. And then we move forward just a little bit to the 11th. Ten minutes later, Darwin with a left-footed shot from the center of the box, but he misses left as he gets on the end of a cross from 
Grimaldo again. But in the 12th minute, it would be the first one, and it will be Darwin Nunez getting on the end of a play uh, completely built by Rafa. And Rafa slots it across, and Darwin Nunez in the center of the box all alone slots it into the empty goal thanks to the work of Rafa Silva. And Benfica take the lead. And two minutes later, Benfica again, and it's Waldschmidt again. This time a right-footed shot from the center of the box that was saved in the bottom right corner by uh, by the goalkeeper. And it was another play that was set up by Rafa Silva. So another good play from Rafa. Rafa puts in a solid 30 minutes here. Rafa and basically everybody else. But like I said in the previous segment, guys like Rafa and guys like PZ have the, for whatever reason... When they're on, the team really can jump on their back and they can be carried. The problem is when they are not on, nobody else assumes that role and the rest of the team is just incapable of taking over that role of just you know carrying the team or buoying the team even for a short time. 18th minute and Vakudimos with a nice save as Luquinhas of Portimonense has a left-footed shot from outside the area, but... Odiseus holds his ground, reads the shot correctly, puts himself in perfect position, and makes the save. 18th minute still. Okay, less than a minute later, it is Darwin Nunez with a right-footed shot from the right side of the box, but it's high and wide after being set up nicely by Waldschmidt. We move ahead, and we're in the 22nd now, and it is Rafa with a right-footed shot from the center of the box. Buries it in the right corner. Good, Another good play from... Rafa from the Portugal International, the 2016 European champion. And he adds to his tally. So it's in a goal and an assist for Rafa in this one. And Befica lead 2-0 20 minutes in or 22 minutes in. And they keep up the pressure. And in the 29th minute, Portimonense's Falicande goes into the book for a foul on Rafa. As Rafa continues to get just hacked left and right. And this is everybody's plan for dealing with Rafa. Is just to kick him and to grab onto him and to try to wrestle him down. Uh, once he gets going, they know they cannot catch him. We move ahead and we have a yellow card again in the 33rd minute. It's William from Portimonense fouling guess who? Rafa, once again, a victim of a foul. Uh, 35th minute, and Grimaldo with a nice left-footed air shot from outside the box, but it is saved in the top right corner. 37th minute, and Ailton Boamort will win a free kick in Portimonense's attacking half, but it will come to nothing as it is dealt with and cleared by Otamendi. 37th minute, though, Otamendi called for a foul, and he will go in the referee's book. And this is a horrible call. Okay, I want to talk about this for a moment. And I believe his name is Luis Martins, the referee. And it is Boamort who is who gets away with it here. Otamendi sliding, okay, as uh, as Ailton is, is breaking down the left. Otamendi with a sliding challenge. Ailton Boamort proceeds to step on Nicolas Otamendi. As he's sliding by him and go down. The referee, this referee who has, this is the second time now he's done this to Otamendi. It happened in his debut against Ferenc in which Otamendi is fouled. And the foul is called against him for a penalty kick. A, a absolutely brutal, remember the brutal debut for Otamendi. And this referee was a big reason for that brutal debut because Otamendi was actually quite good aside from 
being fouled and giving the ball away on a play he was fouled, and then a penalty that was not. And again, here's a foul that is not. He's stepped on. He does not commit a foul, but sees the yellow card. And Otamendi picks up his fifth yellow card and is suspended for tomorrow's match against Santa Clara. Now, at first I was pissed, but looking at the matches coming along, I think this was the best match to sit out, okay? Um, perhaps in this match he would have even taken one on purpose to be able to be back in with a clean slate for the for the big matches coming up in January against, you know, Spartan Porto. Braga, I think, is in there as well. So it's, it's a good, it's, it's, you know, Six one half dozen the other, and it's uh, Otamendi will miss the next match, which is it's dangerous because of the lack of depth we have right now at the position. But it gets that out of the way before some of the bigger matches, and we go to halftime on that as uh, Lucas Passignolo takes the right-footed free kick from outside the box, but he misses left, danger averted. Referee blows for halftime. In the half, uh, Paul Sergio sends on Anderson Oliveira, uh, replacing Fali Conde. And also sends on Betu to replace Fabricio. And Befica come out of the second, out of the team room at halftime. And uh, it looks like they're already playing to get to the 90th minute and to just, you know, slow the game down and to just see it out. And that's disappointing because Benfica are a team that need to get going. They need to score goals. They need to score. They have players who struggle in front of goal, and the only way to get out of a slump is to score. Yes, Darwin picked up a goal. He needs a hat trick. These are the type of games where he needs a hat trick to get his goal-scoring mojo going, to get his feel for the ball, for his, his, his feel for the goal back. But the team really lacks the ambition to do that in this match, and to be honest, and we see a tired team as well. We see, you know, again, a tired Adele Terapt. And in the 55th, it is it is the golden opportunity, really, to put the match away. It's a nice play from Waldschmidt to create the space, and then he slides it to his strike partner, Darwin Nunez, who's alone. And he beats the goalkeeper, but his, his right-footed shot that was almost perfectly placed goes right off the left upright and out. And Befica missed the opportunity to make it 3-0, and that would have effectively killed off the match. And Benfica needs to understand at some point that you kill off matches by scoring goals and not by all of a sudden trying to be a possession team. Because Benfica are not a possession team. And I'm going to be honest, Benfica play better when not in possession. They play better when they have a chance to counter. Okay? There's a reason most of the teams we play against decide to cede possession to us and want to sit in low-lying deep blocks. Because we're not good at playing that game. Okay, so with that, uh, substitution is made in the 60th. Pedrinho's on. Waldschmidt is off. I it didn't really. Um, I don't know if Waldschmidt asked to come off, but there's. I didn't think he needed to be. That was the right substitution to make at that time. Again, I feel like like Everton is the one that needs rest. Everton is the player you're going to need to be at his best in the upcoming matches. If anyone needs to to recover some, it's Everton Sabalina. But he's left out there once again. And it looks like he is going to play no matter what um, for Georges Zouge. Mifika start to really lose control of the match here. Start to cede it a little bit. Um, the match loses a lot of interest as there's not much going on. And in the 69th, it's a substitution for Portimonis. Julio Cesar enters. Ailton Beaumort exits. 
And Luquinho with another opportunity in the 70th minute. He has a right-footed shot from the center of the box. It's close, but it misses just to the right. We have the the play coming up in the 75th minute, and it is Betu running down his left side in the left center channel. Just a step or so inside the penalty area. Um, Odiseish comes out sliding again, and this time Betu throws himself to the ground in a play that is only a penalty kick. If you, he must, Betu must have thought he was wearing Football Club de Porto. Uh, he was wearing a Football Club de Porto shirt because that's the only team that would be awarded a penalty kick on that play. Um, instead, the referee puts Betu in the book for Portimonense on a dive. And um, no, that's not a penalty for me. And it is. it remains 2-0. And some more substitutions, 78th minute. Cherdevi comes on, Grimaldo off. Once again, George Zouge can't let a match go by without uh, without subbing off the fullbacks. I this is what happens when you give refer- when you give managers too many substitutions. I guess they feel like they have to do it. Hey, what a surprise! Another substitution. It is another fullback. It is Nuno Tavares coming on for Everton Subolinha. So Everton is uh, calling it a day at the seventy eighth minute. Pedrinho with an opportunity with a left-footed shot, but it's blocked in the 80th minute. Blocked by Denaire. And then on the ensuing corner, Cherdvi puts a cross into the ball, into the box. Excuse me. Nicolas Otamendi gets a header from very close range, but he misses to the right. Another opportunity to make it 3-0. Squandered by Befica. Substitution 85th minute for for Paulo Sergio for Portimonense. And it is former Premier League player. You may remember him, especially if you're a Fulham supporter. Ricardo Vajte replaces Denair Clement. And Enrique comes on for Koki Anzai. And another chance for Benfica to ice it, but it's 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 squandered as Nuno Tavares this time. Left-footed shot from the left side of the box. Saved in the center of the goal by Samuel Portugal. And... We will move forward, and then it happens. 90th plus a one, and it all starts with uh, my boy. Okay, I, I have defended him, so I'm going to be critical here. As it is Ulian Weigel losing the ball in a very, very bad spot when he should have just... Pro- There's nothing wrong in stoppage time with knocking the ball 60 yards in the air away from your goal. There is nothing wrong with that. But again, professional players and managers today have it stuck in their head that we have to connect 100 passes out of the back or or goals aren't valid or results aren't valid if you're not able to do that. I don't understand it. But anyway, trying to make a cute short pass, Weigel gives up possession. The ball ends up on the foot of Fahid Moafi. Moufi, excuse me, and he f- delivers across. Betu gets on the end of it. Replay would show that it went in off of Gilberto. It would end up being an own goal for Gilberto, but at the time credited as a goal to Betu. And suddenly in stoppage time, it is two to 2-1, and Benfica are nervous. Substitutions made in the 90th plus 4. On comes Andreas Samaris for a Delta Rapt. A little late to get a Delta Rapt off. I don't understand when you're leading why you wouldn't have made that substitution 15 minutes or 10 minutes earlier. Again, Georges Azuz just seems to be on another planet right now. Um, and uh, I don't know if his assistants or if his staff, nobody is is 
comfortable saying something to him. But, like, you can see the match going in the other direction. You can see Portimonense gaining confidence and gaining momentum. And you can see a goal coming. And no, no adjustments made. Fehu also comes on to replace Rafa. I've seen this said as it's a substitution to waste time. This was not to waste time at all. Yeah, I'm looking at this, and this is this is getting two defense-minded players on and two attack-minded players off. This is to hold the result against last place Portimonense, which may be even more more sad and tragic than the idea that we're trying to waste time against Portimonense. But they would have their opportunity. William with a left-footed shot from outside the box, but it was blocked. And the whistle will then blow at 90 plus 6 for full time. Benfica take the three points. A brilliant first half hour and a pretty abysmal remaining hour for Benfica. Tale of two matches, but Benfica would come away with the points. All right, quickly, I'll go through the table again. This is as it stands right now with Sporting having already played their round 12 match and having won. So keep that in mind. So by tomorrow, this will be different. Um, hopefully it'll be different. Hopefully Benfica get the win that they need against Santa Clara tomorrow and keep pace with the leaders. But as it stands right now, okay, here uh, on January the 2nd, Sporting top of the table with 32 points. Benfica second with 27 in the match in hand. Porto third with 25. Braga still in fourth. They had a chance to, to match Benfica and jump into... Tied for second, but they squander that opportunity, losing 2-0 on the road to Spartan Club Portugal. And they are fourth. Vitória Guimarães right now is fifth with 19 points. They will not be playing this round because of a outbreak of COVID in their team. Six positive cases, so their match with Nacional has been postponed. Sixth place is Passos de Ferreira right now. Passos de Ferreira have 16 points. Maritimo seventh with 13. Nacional... Uh, even with their Madeira rivals, also on 13, and, but with fewer goals scored. And Morirense also in ninth with 13. Interesting story breaks today. Morirense manager, former Benfica player, Cesar Peixot, quits. Quits. Steps down as manager, citing interference from the board and from the higher-ups in the club in match day selections. Going into their match with Porto. Very, very interesting. Amazing how that happens. But yes. So uh, Moreirense without their manager going into play Porto. So three more points for the Dragons, of course. Uh, well done, board. Tenth place is our next our next opponent, Santa Clara. Also on 13 points. So you got four teams right now sitting on 13 points. Places 7 through 10. 11th is Gilles Vicente. They have 12 points. 12th is Bulanis Sad, Bisad, Code City. Call them what you want. 11 points from 11 matches. Same for Fumalicão and Riuave. Riuave introduced their new manager this week. Interesting side note is former Benfica goalkeeper Kim is on the staff now at Riuave. Ferenc out of the relegation zone in, in round 11. They're up to 15th with 9 points. Same as Boa Vista who are in 16th. And in that... Relegation playoff spot, Tondela 17th with 9, and the Portimunes we just talked about, bottom of the table, 8 points. So the match is coming up this week, I should say. Actually, that's for Benfica. Let's let's talk about what's coming up for Benfica here in January real quick before uh, we go. 
this week. <clears throat> so we have Sunday, January the 3rd, as we said, tomorrow. It's a 12 o'clock uh, kickoff here on the East Coast of the United States, 5 p.m. in in uh, Lisbon. I believe that's 6 p.m. in São Miguel as it's Santa Clara hosting Benfica. Then Thursday, January the 7th, later this week, Benfica hosting Tondela at home. Uh in a round 14 match, no, round 13, excuse me, of the Liga Nage. And then next weekend, there is no Benfica match. Instead, Benfica will play Tuesday, January. Oh, this is, gets interesting. They'll play Tuesday, January the 12th, okay, on the road at the Jubileira against Estrela da Amadora in the Portuguese Cup round of 16. And there will be a Tassa show next weekend to break down everything. Uh, or later this week to break down everything that's coming up in the TASA. So keep your eye out for the TASA show. And then Friday, January the 15th, this is the, the, the calendar gets nutty. So Friday, January the 15th, 4 p.m. here on the East Coast of the United States. That's 9 p.m. in Portugal, continental Portugal. Benfica travel to the Dragão to take on Porto once again in what has to be a much better performance and where Benfica absolutely have to get a result. Four, five days later, January the 20th, Benfica will play Braga at the Magalhães Pessoa in Leiria. That is the semifinal of the League Cup. And they are scheduled to play that Sunday against Nacional at home. That is, of course, um, that will be rescheduled if Benfica win that semifinal of the League Cup against Braga because the final will be played that Saturday, the 23rd, if Benfica advance. And then... Sunday, January the 31st, Benfica close the round, or I should say close the month with a, tr a trip on the road across town, across the Skunzirklad to league leader Sporting. Benfica have an <laughs> enormous amount of tough matches here in January. Um, and if Benfica don't perform and don't get results, they're going to kiss the championship goodbye in this month of January. Mark my words. And I'm not trying to be negative. I'm being realistic. Benfica really have to answer the call. And they really have to deliver in this month. If they want to come out of this month with a chance to win the 38. Um, however, if Benfica control their own destiny, if they win the league matches, they'll be sitting pretty atop of the league. And there's no doubt about it going into February. So that's where we sit right now. In Liga Nage with the entire round 12 to play. I'm not going to get into um, not going to get into statistics and leaders just yet. I'll get to that in the next episode in the coming days. Maybe maybe even as soon as Monday, I'll have that ready for you after tomorrow's match with Santa Clara and after, of course, tomorrow's debut of the Park in the Bus podcast season two. All right, that's going to do it here for episode 102. This has been the Mr. Mike Agustinu bringing you Mr. Benfica a production of the PTB Media Network, and I will catch you next time here with more coverage. We're going to be talking. Uh, we got a big day tomorrow, actually, before I, I go let everyone know. Uh, we got Benfica versus Santa Clara at noon, noontime in my time, 5 p.m. for those of you in Portugal and in the U.K., uh, but I've set my alarm for bright and early tomorrow. It's 6 a.m. my time. It's 11 a.m. Lisbon time. It's Befica women's team and the debut of Philippa uh, Paton, the new manager. 
as she leads Benfica to take on her former team, Club Benfica Fofo. So it's Benfica Fofo, 11 a.m. Portuguese Standard Time tomorrow. Uh, the final match of the first phase of the championship, round nine, the final match of the first phase um, of the champ- first division championship, the Liga BPI in Portuguese women's football. That will take place tomorrow, and of course later in the afternoon it is the men. It is Santa Clara and Benfica. All right. In the coming weeks, we'll I will start to get back into informing you on the modalidades and things of that nature. You're gonna see the show back, you know, evolve back into its original format with more in-depth match coverage. One match per episode is really how I like to do it, with some club news mixed in and some modalidades mixed in. Um, I do want to say our women's futsal team won the Portuguese Cup earlier this week, so that goes that needs to be mentioned. Um, congratulations to them, of course. And um, that's going to do it for this episode 102. Like I said, I'll talk to you again soon in a couple days. Don't forget tomorrow, season debut of Parking the Bus. Thank you. This has been the Mr. Mike Agostinho signing off. See you later. Sayonara. For those of you who are fans of the Fadu genre of music, as I am, unfortunately, the Fadu world lost a legend yesterday, okay? Uh, 81-year-old Carlos Ducarmo passed away. So I'm going to send you off in this episode with some music, special music. Um, Here is my favorite song of his and maybe his biggest hit. This is Lisboa Menini Mosa. And those of you that, you know, are familiar with Benfica's uh, in-stadium chants and songs will be able to recognize that this is the inspiration for Benfica Mor da Minha Vida, uh, the famous uh, song and chant sung in Dortmund throughout the entire halftime of that Champions League match, a a famous, famous um chant by the Benfica faithful one that used to be in the intro theme to this show uh, so here is Luis Duca- uh, sorry Carlos do Carmo it is Lisboa Menini Moça rest in peace Carlos do Carmo see you next time Carrega Benfica Damu 38 No castelo ponho um cotovelo Em alfama descanso o olhar E assim desfaço o novelo De azul e mar À ribeira encosto a cabeça Almofada da cama do tejo Com lençóis Bordados à pressa Na cambareia E um beijo Lisboa, menina e moça Menina Da luz que os meus olhos veem Tão pura Teus seios são as colinas Varina Pregão que matarás à porta Ternura Cidade a ponto luz Bordada Toalha à beira-mar estendida Lisboa, menina e moça amada Cidade, mulher da minha vida No terreiro eu passo por ti Mas da graça eu vejo-te nu 
Quando um pombo te olha Sorri És mulher da rua E no bairro mais alto do sonho Põe o fado que soube inventar Aguardente de vida e madrão Que me faz cantar Lisboa, menina e moça, menina Da luz que os meus olhos veem, tão pura Teus seios são as colinas, varina Pregão que matarás à porta, ternura Cidade a ponto luz, bordada Toalha à beira-mar, estendida Lisboa, menina e moça, amada Cidade, mulher da minha vida Lisboa, no meu amor, deitada Cidade, por minhas mãos, despida Lisboa, menina e moça, amada Cidade, mulher da minha vida TB Media Network presents the Park in the Bus podcast coming back right at you for season two, dropping January 3rd, 2021. And it is a new format this season, new format, multiple episodes per week, Parking the Bus podcast covering all of your football needs across the world and in 2021 coming to the Parking the Bus podcast, the FIFA World Club Cup, Euro 2020 Copa America, CONCACAF Gold Cup, CONCACAF Champions League, Major League Soccer, Liga MX, Brasileirão, as well as the Premier League, the Championship, WSL, League 1, Serie A, Bundesliga, and La Liga, all coming your way in 2021 on the Parking the Bus podcast only on the PTB Media Network. So whether you prefer Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, or any other podcast platform, CastBox, you name it, the link is in the show notes of this episode so that you can follow Parking the Bus Podcast. Go ahead right now, click follow. All right, subscribe to Parking the Bus Podcast and give a good rating so that we can get the Parking the Bus Podcast out to more people. And again, don't forget... Sunday, January 3rd, 2021, Season 2 is underway.